Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Amen. So a couple of quick announcements as we get started. Um, our Faith uh, Community Church in India. Oh, is it? Okay, it looks okay up there. Uh, they just celebrated Christmas, uh, of course, and they also went out and they did Christmas caroling. So you can see we got had a big crowd of folks, and including a Santa Claus, who went out and went caroling, and they shared gifts with uh, needy members of the community. And uh, so lots of cool stuff. A few pictures here just so you can see what's going on. They went into all kinds of different places in the village, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, sharing the story of his coming the first time and inviting people to follow after him and uh, prayed with folks and like I said, shared some gifts with folks. So this is part of what your giving helps to support is the mission that's going on over there in India, the church, and uh, it's really good stuff. They're bold for Jesus and Santa is too, and uh, they're going out and making sure that their whole community has the opportunity to know the good news of Jesus Christ and the story of his birth birth. So I want to encourage you to, to just, just be in, really dedicated in helping to support the India mission. And if you have not given a Christmas time offering to either the India Church or the International Mission Board Lottie Moon offering, encourage you to consider that. And if you have giving that you need to get completed, uh, you need to do so before this coming Friday if you'd like it on your tax receipts for 2021. So if you've got any giving for that, just so you know, if it comes in next Sunday, it'll go on 2022 taxes. So if you, you know, turned a big profit and you're now a multi-billionaire because of Bitcoin uh, or Pfizer stock, um, then go ahead and know that uh, any giving you'd like to do for your taxes needs to be turned in by the 31st. So we are going to continue to just celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord today. To know that his first coming was such a powerful and meaningful thing. But it's it's something we need to kind of discuss. When we say that Jesus became a man, there's a question that maybe we need to answer. What is mankind? What are we? What are we made of? What was the, the, the significance of God coming in the flesh? And so if you were to, to look, the Bible app, uh, you should find notes, or this sermon in the Bible app. And of course, you can follow along your Bible. But we're going to be jumping around a little bit today. And uh, here's what it says about the creation of man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. Now, if we read this verse and we, we pay attention to what it says, it doesn't say that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and then he was alive, right? So we are not just dust. Neither does it say that God breathed out and then poof, there was a man that came from his breath and his spirit birthed mankind. So we're not just spirit either, but we are both dust 
and breath. And I think that that is significant for us to understand. Because sometimes we focus so much on our spiritual person that we forget our bodies. And um, I, I fall prey to that. You know, instead of two slices of pizza, I'll eat five or six. And it's because I'm, I think, you know, I'm good in good shape as a man. My spirit is good. I'm, I'm eternally bound for, for glory with God. Who cares about the flesh? But the truth is, is that we are not just fleshy, meaty beings who are going to live and die, nor are we simply spiritual beings. And our body is a, a husk or a carcass that eventually we will cast off. But from the moment of creation, mankind has always been both flesh and spirit. And it's important for us to remember that we as a creature are not just spiritual beings and, and you know, whatever happens to our body happens and, and as long as our spirit's good, nor are we just fleshly beings, you know, let's live for today and party like we die this evening. But the balance is to be found in understanding that our spirit is significant, And so it's important for us to, to worship wholeheartedly, to walk with Christ, to read our Bibles. But our body is significant as well. Now, how do we know that this holds true? Because we're going to see what the effects of Jesus coming as a baby in a manger are upon our whole being. And so let's remember what Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. If you guys remember, just before Thanksgiving, we were in this passage. We looked into it, and we were told as Christians to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or held onto like white-knuckled. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. What, what we need to understand is that when the God of glory looked down on fallen mankind, he knew we needed to be redeemed. He wanted relationship with us restored. And so he had a plan and he had a way. And it was through the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son of God, that it, this plan was going to come to pass. And so Jesus, the Christ did consider all the rights and privileges of heaven so important that he was holding on to them white-knuckled, but he released them and put on flesh and lived a perfect and sinless life and then died on the cross for you and I. Now, some might wonder, well, why didn't God just declare everybody forgiven? Why didn't God just say, well, you're just spirits anyway, so come on up here to heaven, zap. You know, let's make it, let's just end this charade and, and get everybody up here and we'll make everything all right. It's because when we look at all of scripture, we are beings of both dust and breath. And God wanted to redeem not just the dust and not just the breath, not just the flesh and not just the spirit, but instead God wanted to redeem us as he created us and intended for us to be. 
beings of both flesh and spirit. Our bodies matter. And it's because of this that Jesus had to put on flesh. John 1.14 tells us it wasn't just some apparition. Jesus wasn't just a ghost for 33 years pretending to be human. But it, John 1.14 says the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's this picture you can go all the way back into the Old Testament and think about the children of Israel wandering the wilderness. They had the tabernacle, a tent, where God's presence lived amongst them. And they could go to the tabernacle and experience the presence of God. And Jesus, the second person of the Godhood, the eternal Son of God, completely God, He came down and tabernacled or camped out among us. But he wasn't pretending to be one of us. He was completely one of us in the flesh. The perfect God of creation came down and put on the same body that you and I live in. The same type of of flesh and the same struggles and the same pains and the same needs. Jesus put it on. But His glory was not obscured because John says, we observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in Jesus Christ coming and being born, we see once again restored the perfection of both dust and breath together. We see a body that that is is. Dusty and fleshy, but but the spirit that's perfect and a restoration that begins and the glory is shining through in the person of Jesus. Now we know that he came. We know that it's true because this is how we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that that says Jesus has come, he came and he put on real flesh. He lived just like us. He struggled. He suffered. He lived a life like ours. This is the truth. This is how we know what the Christian gospel is. Now, those who might think little of the flesh or that Jesus only pretended to come in the flesh, what do we know of them? Who are they from? Not from God, are they? We can say they're from Satan. We could say they're from the the evil hearts of mankind. Because guess what? We don't even need Satan's influence to be wrong and evil. We've got just enough sin nature in ourselves to do that. But here's the first thing we have to know. And we have to remember. And we must hold tightly to. That this birth of Christ wasn't some game. It wasn't some pretend. But Jesus became flesh. For real. He, he, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, He came and He inhabited, He put on a body. And it wasn't some sort of, of avatar. It wasn't some sort of game. The, the second person of the Trinity genuinely lived within the body. He was Jesus. He is the Christ. He is our Savior and Messiah. And the word we would use to describe that is this is the big nickel word you can take back. If you've got any family left at home, you can be like, let me tell you about the incarnation. 
And they'll be like, oh, ooh, you've studied. And, and, and this word, incarnation, we've talked about it. We talked about it in 1829. And I used a, a really basic example to help you explain it. Uh, anybody here like Mexican food? Come on, there, there's, there's, there's this steak they make called carne asada. Are you familiar with carne asada? Oh, my goodness. If all you eat is ground beef or shredded chicken, you need to order some carne asada in your life. Okay, friends? But carne asada, it's just steak seasoned, and it can be whole or it can be chopped up and put in tacos. Mm, it is so delicious. Now, that word carne, do you know what that, what, what that means? Uh, translated from Spanish to English? Meat. Meat. That's all. That's it. It's just meat. Carne. Meat. When you look at this word incarnation, it's not some sort of big, deep spiritual word. What it means is to put on meat, to, to become fleshy, to put on the dust of, of, of mankind and to take it upon himself. That's what Jesus did. And so if you, if you need that, remember, you read that word and you go, incarnation, what does that mean again? Oh, tacos. Jesus became meat like me. But it, it, it's the eternal spirit of God inhabiting the broken flesh of a dusty mankind. This is what Jesus did. That, that, that night in the manger, those nine months actually before as he was developing in Mary's womb, it was God putting on the same flesh that you and I inhabit. And why is this significant? Why is this important? Now, i got to do this. I'm sorry. Quick pause. The Christ candle lit, uh, went out, and that's just bugging me. So it's like we got to have some Jesus, right? We can't have Jesus go out. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Jesus became flesh, and he became flesh, and he dwelt among us in the incarnation. And what is significant about the incarnation? What is important about the incarnation? Here's what scripture tells us. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he, Jesus, has reconciled you as you sat down and you just made peace with God. And you realized the error of your ways and said you were sorry. No. Here's what it says. By his physical body, through his death, this is how Jesus reconciles you and I to God. Not by some act of abracadabra, but instead, he had to come and put on flesh and die that we might have peace with God. And also to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Scripture is so clear that the birth of Jesus, his incarnation, him putting on flesh, this was not just some game where God came down and said, I like you guys so much I want to look like you for a while. But his incarnation was necessary to save us. He himself, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24, bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. 
By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus' flesh was critical to purchase your salvation. His body was necessary to purchase you out of slavery to sin. It was necessary. Its, its sacrifice was necessary to make peace with God the Father. A little later in 1 Peter, Peter writes this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Do you understand that the fleshiness of Jesus, he really came, he really put on a body just like you and me because it was absolutely necessary that he do so in order to purchase your salvation. In Revelation 1, 5, John tells us this, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priests to his God forever and ever. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus set us free from sin by his blood. So when we we come back and we look at the manger and we see this baby, we need to understand that this moment is just as critical to our salvation as that moment. Because without this moment... And God incarnate, incarnate, <laughs> incarnate, uh, God putting on flesh, that moment isn't possible. That moment of salvation, that payment for sin, it's not possible because incarnation is the currency for our salvation. Now, I've given you this base example before. I'm wealthy, and all of my wealth is in pesos. Right? You're destitute. You are on the verge of death. You owe a huge sum of money that you could never pay, but you owe it in dollars. If I walk up to pay your your debt and I'm bringing a big old bag of pesos and I hand it to the person that you owe the debt to. Now, you, you the, the logic can break down a little bit if you're too analytical on this. So please give me a little bit of grace. But if somebody's trying to pay a bill that's due in dollars in pesos, it doesn't work. Does that, does that click? I mean, it, it's I'm rich. I can afford it. I can pay the debt, but it's in the wrong currency. So to pay that debt, what do I need to do? I need to go and exchange the currency from pesos to dollars. And I take my wealth and I convert it into the right currency and I pay your debt. And some of you are like, bring on the pesos, brother. Right? When we're talking about salvation... The infinite God of creation, the eternal Son of God, He had riches beyond measure and could pay the sin debt for everyone. But it was in the wrong currency. It was in spiritual currency. And so He had to put on flesh and convert His wealth 
into the right payment in order to pay the price for your sin and mine. And so when we look at the incarnation, it's important that we understand this is the means, this, this moment, this, this birth of Jesus Christ, this is the means by which God takes the infinite wealth of heaven and converts it to the currency of flesh so that sin could be paid for. And I think that is so cool to understand, to wrap our head around. Because what that does, it also teaches us some other interesting and important things about this flesh. Number one, John 3.16 begins to reveal to us this. For God loved the world in this way. Now you could put a lot of things in here and understand that they could be expressions of God's love. For God loved the world in this way. He gave us a sunrise this morning. Right? For God loved the world this way. Everyone's breathing. There are some heartbeats. How cool is that? For God loved the world this way. The sun still works. And it's held together by the power of the ultimate Christ. For God loved the world in this way, though, is what John 3.16 says. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So we see first that, that the flesh, the incarnation, it's the currency by which God pays for our salvation through the Son, Jesus Christ. But it is also the gift of Christ in the manger that helps us to know God loves us. When we celebrate Christmas, it's, it's really cool to think someday Jesus will die on the cross. You know, in just a few months, we'll celebrate his death and resurrection. But, but what's even more exciting is as we look at the birth of Christ, we can go, God loves me. God loves us. God wants us to be his. Romans 5, 7 through 8. The apostle Paul writes this to the church in Rome. And he says, for rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a, a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. Now, you could, you could look around the room kind of on the sly and think uh, and make a list real quick. I'd die for them, not for them. I'd die for that person if it was in the right circumstances. Oh, I would never give my life for them. I mean, we could do that kind of stuff. That's how we think. That's how we behave. And that's what Paul is saying. In, in, in the, just a normal flow of life, maybe you would die for a really good person. Maybe you would sacrifice something of your life for somebody who is so awesome. But nobody would die for someone who's a sinner. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now remember, this ability to die in the flesh for us, it begins at the manger. It begins with the incarnation. First we find out that God loved us so much that he sent his son And now we find out that God loved us so much that that son lived a perfect sinless life and died on our behalf. And it began at the manger. Jesus, his incarnation is this beautiful love letter from God saying, I I love you. I want you to be mine. I want to walk with you. I want to fellowship with you. 
1 John 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. It is not just the death of Jesus that reveals God's love. It is the sending of the son that screams he loves us. Just the next verse, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves us. And when we look into the manger, when we read Luke chapter 2 before we open presents, if we have a birthday cake for Jesus and sing happy birthday, whatever way you celebrated Christmas yesterday, I want to encourage you to continue to peer into the manger and celebrate this story. Because when we see that God sent His Son, it is God declaring His unending and unconditional love for all of us. And how he wants to be in relationship with us. Brothers and sisters, God wants you. He loves you. And the manger is the proof of that. Every Christmas should be the reminder. He sent Jesus for me because he loves me. And he wants to be in relationship with me. The incarnation is God's language of love. The Son putting on flesh is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the beautiful Trinity that is one and three, declaring with a loud voice, We love you. I love you. Come and be in relationship. Look what, look what happened just for you. I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. (laughs) Incarnation is God's language of passionate love for you. If we go all the way back to Philippians chapter 2, the Son gave up all the privileges of Godhood. He put them aside. He ignored them to put on flesh To show the love of God for you. That should speak volumes to us. So we have that that incarnation is the currency of our salvation. And we we should grasp that when we see the manger, it is the the bold declaration and the, the language of God's love for you and me. But then what is also so cool about what Jesus did in being And becoming incarnate is that he paints a picture and shows us that not just the spirit of our life is important, but also the flesh. We are creatures of both dust and breath, flesh and spirit. And God, in his love for us, said, that's what I want you to remain. In fact, when we read in Revelation, when we look at the promises of the end times and the return of Jesus, you and I, we will not live in heaven forever. Instead, we will be reunited with perfect bodies and whole spirits that are sinless 
brought back into that being that is dust and breath, spirit and flesh, and we will live on a renewed earth forever and ever. And we'll get to work and find joy in it. And we'll get to worship without end. We'll get to do everything in our life to the glory of God and know His presence forever. It will not be a big choir concert, unless that's exactly what you were made for, is to sing the rest of your life. Some of you are like, I I just can't handle it. I don't want wings and I don't want a harp. Right! You won't have that. Some of us will be gardeners. Some of us will be crafting. Some of us will be engineering and building the rest of our eternity all to the glory of God, finding joy in it every day, and there will be no more splinters. Doesn't that sound good? No more need for safety glasses. Sin and destruction are God. And how do we know that? Because as we were created originally... As it was in the Garden of Eden is how it will be when we are restored in, in the fullness of Christ. And we know that everything, that last morning of creation, that last day of creation was perfect. Because Genesis 1.31 tells us this. God saw all that he had made. And it was okay, except there was some fleshiness to it. And he didn't know how to quite get rid of that. No. He looked at this man and this woman who were made of both dust and spirit. He looked at everything he had created for them to have perfect, ceaseless dominion over. And all the work that he had established for them to do. And he said, it was very good indeed. Not just good. The last few days, every time God created something, he said, that's good. But this time... Man and woman are created in both dust and breath and in flesh and spirit. And God says, this is very good. This is very good. This is exactly how I mean it to be. And of course, we know the rest of the story. Sin creeps into the world through Adam and Eve's choices. And we are born with a sin nature. We are born alienated from God. But God loved us so much. He sent, remember, his son Jesus to give us eternal life for all who would believe on him. So we see that creation was meant to be a good thing. This fleshiness that we live in, it's meant to be a good thing. And the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ incarnate redeems this flesh and redeems the things of this world so that we are are able to genuinely enjoy them as believers. What's interesting here, what we find out is in Romans chapter 8, and I cut off a verse. Wow, that's good. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious... Now i got to turn to it, right, and see what the rest of the verse says. Freedom of God's children. Wow. I know it's on the, ver- the app. Um, yeah, you're scrolling through the app. That, that Jesus came not just to save us, but to redeem creation as well. And all of creation is waiting for the day when Jesus returns and all of the children of God are revealed. Because on that day, all of creation will be fully redeemed as well. Now what that is, is it's a beautiful picture of of what Jesus came to do. He came in the flesh because there's nothing evil or dirty or disgusting about our fleshiness when it's redeemed. 
But instead, he wants us to know that, that this flesh, this body, the things he created, when we walk in them to his glory, when we walk in, when in right relationship with him, through the, or with the Father, through him, that, that everything that he created can be good once again. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says this, Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Enjoy good food because it all belongs to God. And he made it for you. Enjoy the things of this earth that are not sinful, that are not outside of, of the standards that God has clearly given us. But if God says it's okay, guess what? It's okay. And you should enjoy it. This flesh in the status that it's in right now, pre-final redemption, it will pass away. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't enjoy all the gifts of God's creation. If you like tuna salad, eat tuna salad. If you like steak, eat steak. If you like coffee, drink it in moderation. Everything that, that we see before us is meant to be enjoyed. Our relationship as married couples and the fullness of it it's not some sort of twisted and eh, maybe thing. This is a beautiful thing that we should enjoy until the end of our days. Right? There is nothing about this flesh when we walk in Christ that we should be ashamed of as long as we're also following his standards. But instead, we were meant to enjoy all of this. First Corinthians, a little bit later, Paul says this in, in 1031. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Your body is meant to enjoy the bounty of this fleshy, dusty life when you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And so... Don't be afraid to love roller coasters and to ride them till you vomit. But do it to the glory of God and rejoice in this flesh because Jesus came not just to save your spirit, but to redeem your flesh even now and make it possible for you to enjoy things today much like he meant for them to be enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. The flavors, the, the, the sounds, the sights, the feelings. To enjoy it as long as you're walking in obedience to his standards. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 4.4 4. Now, some of you like loopholes. And you're going to go, oh, this is a big loophole. I can, I can do whatever I want as long as I'm like... Thanks, God. <laughs> no. Remember, we must live within the standards that we've been given. But everything that's within those, those standards that God has declared to be acceptable for a believer, all of that is on the table for us to be enjoyed with thanksgiving toward God. He made it. He shaped it for you. Titus 1.15 To the pure... Everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. This is a simple verse that is essentially saying, if you're walking with God through Christ Jesus and have been purified and seeking to be obedient, 
then everything that is before you in obedience to his standards is pure. And you can enjoy it wholeheartedly. But to those who are outside of Christ, even the things that are good are quickly defiled. We can see that in our culture. Music becomes noise. Intimacy becomes pornography. We see entertainment becomes a drug. And drugs become things that cover pain and keep us from engaging with reality. Things that could be good are quickly defiled by those who live outside of Christ Jesus. But for those who are in Him, His incarnation says to us, your bodies have value. This creation matters. I've come to redeem it all, and I want you to enjoy it as you walk in obedience to me. Incarnation is God's affirmation of the beauty and value of all of creation, especially for the believer who is walking in obedience through Christ Jesus. So this Christmas season, this new year, live it up in obedience to Christ. Enjoy every moment to his glory. Partake of the things that give you joy and pleasure. Once again, in obedience to the standards he's given to us. But don't hesitate to live fleshy lives fully. Because the incarnation tells us that this flesh has value and beauty. And all the physicality of the world has value and beauty. And it's for us as Christians. So the three things I hope you will remember about the incarnation. Jesus putting on flesh and being born and lying in a manger. Three things about the incarnation I hope you remember. The incarnation is necessary for salvation. It is in his flesh that Jesus paid the price for our sins. And so this is not some sort of pretend thing. This is not some sort of, uh, you know, play. This is the incarnate Son of God who came to pay the price for your sin by His very flesh. The incarnation reveals God's love for us. For God so loved the world that He sent an angel to tell us that He loves us. No. He sent His Son to be in flesh. A love letter to say, I love you and I want relationship with you. And the incarnation and the work that Jesus did of redemption on the cross for everyone who would believe, what it does for those of us who walk with Him in obedience is it frees us to truly enjoy everything, the beauty and the value of this physical life. To really not have to be like, oh, I shouldn't. Well, is it, is it right before God? Yeah, then you should. In moderation, maybe. Maybe two slices of pizza instead of six, right? But to the glory of God and in thanksgiving, understand that this fleshy life is God's gift to us. And this, this tangible, touchable world is God's gift to us. Enjoy it, brothers and sisters. Enjoy it.
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw in him all the glory that God wanted to reveal. And we can see in that fleshiness our salvation. And we can see the love of God. And we can see the value of this beautiful creation that he's given to us to enjoy. And as we interact with Jesus, as we get to know him better, these things become so much more tangible in our lives. Salvation becomes deep and real. The love of God becomes something that changes us and gives us confidence. And that the privilege of enjoying this world, we begin to understand that it was created for us by God's loving hands. And the way, one of the ways that we know Jesus better, one of the ways that we understand the incarnation more richly is to read our Bibles. Because in our Bibles, we see God's concern from day one for us and for all of mankind. We see the plan of redemption. We see the the truth of, of God's love unfolding through thousands of years and hundreds of people until it arrives at Christ and then spreads all over again and changes the world. So as we get into 2022, that's going to be a tongue twister for me. I want to encourage you to read your Bible from cover to cover in the 365 days of this year that is arriving. And so on the back table, back there, right behind this section over here, there are a couple of tools for you. Two different plans to help you read through the Bible in a year. One is chronological. And so a a scholar sat down and he took the time to say, I'm going to arrange all the different parts of the Bible in what I believe to be the proper chronological order. Now, every time the Bible speaks about history, it is absolutely true. But the chronology of the Bible is not perfect from Genesis to Revelation. Some of the stories are a little out of place. Some of the stories are redundant in, in, in different books, and they could be combined together. And that's what happens in this chronological plan. And so you can read your Bible chronologically as it's believed to have unfolded historically. Or you can simply read selections of the Bible throughout the year in this 4 plus 1 plan, which includes two readings of the Old Testament, two readings in the New Testament, and then a reading in the Psalms. And you will go through the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament in the one year and go through all of the Psalms twice. So there's two choices, two different reading plans, or you can be brave and just be like, I'm going to knuckle down and just read my Bible from cover to cover. That gets a little harder if you don't have a plan, but you can dive into it. And I also have, if you like just a special Bible, one that's a, uh, just one you will use only for reading through in this one year, uh, there are chronological Bibles on the back table. Really pretty Bibles, ones that you can use specially for your devotional time to read through, chronology, chronologically read the Bible through. Uh, but those are a little bit more than the paper plans. If you would like one of those, just ask that you would include a $25 donation in the, in the offering box and help offset the cost of those. Um, so that's the challenge for this year as we remember the incarnation, remember what has come through the birth of Jesus Christ. It brings salvation. It reveals God's love, frees us to enjoy the beauty and value of the physical that we also have an opportunity to dive into our Bibles this coming year and get to know God in his fullness and the Christ who saves us even more in depth. 
And so encourage everybody to join with me in reading through the Bible. Now, we're all going to make some mistakes. We're going to have a vacation. We're going to miss a day or two. We'll catch up. If it takes you a year and a half, if it takes you two years, it's okay. The goal, though, is this year to begin the process of reading through the Bible chronologically and celebrating the truth in your life and mine that Jesus, the baby born in the manger, Christ, the Messiah, the King who was sent to redeem his people, is Lord Yahweh, the God of creation. So this morning, as we close our time together and get ready to sing one more song, I just want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. And I also want to encourage you during that time, if you want to just ask God for the strength to commit to reading through the Bible this next year, that he would guide you and give you that strength to do so. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the incarnation of your son, Jesus. We thank you that in the incarnation, him putting on flesh, we understand he was able to pay the price for our sins, to take the riches of heaven, to put them in the right currency, flesh, and then pay for sin so that everyone who would believe on Jesus Christ would be saved from that sin and set free from its consequences and walk in peace with you. We thank you that in the incarnation, we see that you love us. You loved us so much, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to give up the rights and privileges of Godhood to set them aside in order to put on flesh, to genuinely be in a body like ours and show us your love. We also thank you that in the incarnation we can see the value that creation is not to be cast aside that our bodies are not just chaff that we wait to blow away so that life can be better someday. But instead, we understand we are creatures of both flesh and spirit in a world created for us and that we can begin to enjoy this world even more richly as we walk more faithfully with you, Lord Jesus. Help us to do so. Help us to understand that every bite can be to your glory. Every breath can be to your glory. Every mile of travel can be to your glory. Everything we do to work on the house can be to your glory. Every time we are loving and generous and faithful with our family, it is to your glory. Every time we enjoy time with our spouses or loved ones, it's to your glory. Because this body... And these pleasures were made by your hand. And when we are obedient to your standards, it is to be enjoyed. Thank you for this time together this morning. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you put on flesh to walk among us. Giving your life, rising again, and inviting everyone here to follow after you. In your name we pray. Amen.